Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets up. If you're gonna blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Lots to get to this week. Spring practice is in full swing. But before we get into it, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation and for your continued support of Longhorn Blitz. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. Click that follow button. You get every episode of the flagship of State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz whenever it drops on Tuesday afternoons. And thank you so much for your support. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind as to do so. And don't forget to get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest in Longhorn team, news, notes, and nuggets, everything from the recruiting trail from Mike Roach, our recruiting editor, Hudson Standish, our recruiting reporter. No better team covering the Longhorns on the recruiting front. It's all there for you at Horns 24-7. So don't hesitate. If you haven't checked it out, what the heck are you doing? Get over to the site right now and check out everything we've got going. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002, UZ All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother, as always. Rod B., I got a chance to go to the new-look Moncrief complex. Uh, the oh, lobby's nice. redone, yeah. yeah. So they've got different uh, balls like uh, with accomplishments on them and a mm-hmm. captain's wall and all that fun yeah. stuff in the lobby now. I'm trying to find, uh, trying to find some Rod B., Stuff uh, on the wall. I, doubt it. I didn't look hard enough. I didn't have enough time to look, so I need a, I need a more thorough inspection. I doubt it. Very seriously, there has to be a shred of your existence on the forty acres in that building somewhere. Trust me, I'm sure they purposefully, intentionally removed <laughs> as much as they could. No, <laughs> no, they can't remove it from the fans' memories. But over there, I'm pretty sure. They have. Now I think they, which may, I got no problem with. I would guess maybe since being an all American, you may have something there. But do you think no? You they took the all American stuff down because they got two males had too many. Just I was all gonna, Americans. I was just so gonna, you have to be like consensus, or you have to be unanimous to have like something on the wall. They may have a list, just like all Americans list. They used to have pictures of all the all Americans, mm-hmm. but they have too many all Americans not to have pictures of all of them. So. That's what I feared. But I thought yeah. maybe. You you're lurking in the background of a Derek Johnson photo yeah, or something along those lines. Something like that, like stalking in the background. But other than that, no, don't look for it. Uh, so, so one week of spring practice is in the books. Week two is underway mm-hmm. with practice Tuesday morning. I got to get, I, I got to get, the, I was able to go out to practice Tuesday morning for a little bit. That media viewing window. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you just kind of get to see who's lining up where. Look at guys on the hoof, all that stuff. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing too exciting, but it just it does whatever you hear from sources. You can match it with the eye test and oh, yeah. so on and so forth. Speak. 
Uh, Rod, a big a big theme for me, and, and I asked Sark about it in the post practice availability, uh, and I'm working on a story on this for Hornets 24 seven. Don't know when it'll be out, but I've been. I did all the pass rushing research with the sack numbers and yeah, things like stuff, that man. a while I still back. Use those numbers today, it's uh, stuff. And, and I've got the I've got the run defense numbers because I asked Sark about the edges because I've said before that position group with the young talent there, uh, unproven talent, really intrigues me. And you've got guys like Justice Finkley and Prince Dorba. Finkley as a mid year guy, but Prince Dorba, DJ Harris, David Abiara, Baron Sorrell, a, a bunch of guys that haven't played a ton. There should be a pretty daggum big sense of urgency. From that group to go win some jobs this spring. Oh boy, Rod, I know you crunched some of these numbers and I just went and looked at them. So I just went to uh, Old Reliable, Pro Football Focus, and I just went game by game with Texas and I looked at C gap, D gap runs, and jet sweeps. The yardage Texas gave up. Basically, left tackle, left end, right tackle, right end, and any jet sweep that was run on the Texas defense. How bad were they defending the edges? Again, we talked about the pass rush numbers, and if you need them again, I'll give them again. Uh, 1.67 sacks per game for Texas last season. It's the lowest total per game sack total since 1997. Ben Davis, two and a half sacks as your sack leader. The lowest total since the program started recording recording stats as an official statistic, if I can talk right today, in 1975. The lowest single-season leader. So you didn't get after the quarterback. I know sacks are overrated. You know when we talk about sacks being overrated? When you don't have enough of them. That's when we talk about sacks being overrated. And Texas didn't have enough of them last year. But, guys, here's the – I asked Sark about the edges, and, you know, he mentioned the pass rush again, but he also talked about that group's got to be – you got to help you be better against the run. And I, I broke down the numbers. Rod, I think you've got some numbers on this too. I gave him the last. I gave him a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yeah. We talked about it. Giving up 10 yards per rush. I was wondering on, on, the, on the left side yeah. of their edge. Yeah. So I, just, I didn't break it down edge by edge like you did. I just went edges complete and just kind of did uh, either way. Like a lot of our number crunching this offseason when we talk about the defense is bad no matter how you slice it. Uh, I've got the Texas defense, on, again, on left tackle, left end, right tackle, right end runs, at C-gap and D-gap runs and jet sweeps, uh, giving up 1,354 yards this season, 6.9 yards per carry on C-gap, D-gap runs and Sounds jet sweeps. Right. Uh, of the 10 yards of 10 uh, runs of 10 yards or more that the defense gave up, 68 of them in 2021, 40 of them were C-gap, D-gap runs or jet sweeps. And of the rushing touchdowns, the defense gave up 16 of the 21 were C-gap, D-gap runs, or jet sweeps. It sounds about right. Um, yeah. Rod, that is – Matt and I were talking about it before you got in here. That is historically just abysmal. Yeah. No, if you're looking at the rushing numbers, at least the, obviously playing uh, rush defense from the edges, your D-gap, your C-gaps – and you're also looking at the numbers you brought up that I think are just mind-blowing, the numbers about the pressure and sacks at Texas or lack of uh, in terms of historically low sack numbers for Texas. And I know sacks are overvalued, but it's still, I'm with you, I think having that low uh, sack number shows you how inept Texas was at, at affecting the opposing quarterback. I mean, I would have to say that in my lifetime, it's definitely the worst edge defense an edge presence that Texas had probably in my definitely in my 20 something years of watching Texas football or being a part of it but I would say probably since looking at your stats too it probably is the worst edge 
presence defensively for Texas arguably in the last 50, 60 years. I mean, you know top, it might be it might be all-time low. It might be the worst because they don't rush the pass or affect their opposing quarterback really well, and they're really bad against the run. So you put both of those together, historically the defense was bad, right? It allowed 5.2 yards per rush, second most all-time allowed by a Texas defense. You allowed six yards per play, right? That's second most all-time by a Texas defense. So those numbers will match up. That is the biggest issue. Black Shadamas, I'll get pat myself on the back. Before the season started, I said, biggest issue will be the edges. The edges in your corners will be your demise. It's exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, they were way worse than I thought they'd be. But, they, yeah, they, I didn't think they'd be that bad. Nobody yeah, did. Because we were talking before the show, and, I mean, I would say it's clearly the probably the worst rush defense in Texas history if you look overall just compared. Because, like, re- like you had pointed out a couple shows ago, it's really hard to be really bad giving up explosive passes and runs. Very few teams do that. And yeah. it's a type of situation that then when, you're off- when you have a good offense, it actually makes it worse because, like it's putting the defense out there more and you're in this environment where you're just trading off scores. It's like a fast-paced basketball team that has no defense and you just go back and forth and you go to overtime. Like When you're doing that and the opponent realizes that we don't even have to take risks and we can wear them down and then we're still explosive and can score quick and in the Big 12 when teams will actually still, if they see something, exploit it and aren't afraid to run the ball. A lot of the times before you get these teams, like when you're trying to cut the head off of an explosive offense you sort of force them to run so you can take away the deep passing game and stuff and that's why sometimes when you see like the two high shell and people talk about you can run all day against certain defenses well texas was in the worst case scenario because no matter what the offense did you were screwed yep so how do you fix that well there's two ways you fix it you fix it through personnel which we know texas is trying to do now and really they don't have a choice i mean Talk about as bad as you were on the edges last year. Sark did mention this though when I asked him about it, Rod. And you can, you can see some of this data now. And granted, it wouldn't have helped you be as historically bad as you were, but he did mention he didn't take into account in the middle of the season when everything was just going to hell in a handbasket yeah. the impact that losing Jacoby Jones had on the defense. And I mean, you can look at it and say, okay, he got hurt early in the Oklahoma game. And other than Arkansas, you weren't good setting the edge, but you weren't awful either. And now, granted, we're talking about playing Louisiana, anybody. Texas yeah, Tech. I mean, let's be honest. TCU, that's, that's, Rice. That's, that's, that's BS. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, but, that doesn't make sense. That literally yeah. doesn't make, that make no sense at all. He's not that much of an impact. Well, guys, yeah. Eye test-wise and stats-wise, go look at all, go look at pro football focus yeah. numbers. He's not that much of an impact player. You would have got eviscerated even with him on the edge. Yeah, sorry. because when, you know, the game he got hurt against <laughs> Arkansas. The game he got hurt against <laughs> Oklahoma, he got hurt early in that game. Oklahoma ran for 315 yards on C-gap, D-gap runs and jet sweeps. But then I, I think that correlates too, though. You were facing the bad, the better run defenses, the better excuse me, the better rushing offenses you faced that had sophisticated run game concepts and had you know at the very least competent offensive lines. In some cases, like with Baylor, a good offensive line, mm-hmm. they eviscerated you on the edges. No, Not, Kansas did, dude. Kansas uh, had a great offensive line. Kansas, Kansas won your worst rushing defense games again against those <laughs> against those, those edge runs. Uh, Oklahoma twenty five for three fifteen. Oak State sixteen for one twelve. Baylor twenty one for one fifty nine. Iowa State fourteen for one twenty one. To your point, Rod, Kansas fourteen for eighty four. West Virginia nineteen for ninety two. Uh, and even K State, and that's not counting the Will Howard touchdown run, which was technically 
and inside run, mm-hmm. uh, 17 for 88. So yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, what I mean, it, uh, if you were if you were an elite offense, being able to run the football, yes, you were able to have more success. But it didn't matter to that. The only team that shockingly wasn't able to, to hit Texas on edges was Louisiana. I, I bet Louisiana right now has got to be slapping <laughs> themselves in the freaking face. They're a good running they, team. They're a good team. <laughs> they're, uh, they're well, good, and their strength team. is yeah. running the ball. They're, they're one of they're, the few. They're a better r- O-line than some of the team Texas face, and yet they couldn't find a way to hit the edges on Texas. Yeah. And like I said, before they before the season started, I said, oh, if you're going to beat Texas, you beat them throwing the ball on those corners and you beat the edges. Louisiana couldn't do either. <laughs> Yeah, they that was. Do, they could do either one of them. It was like, what are you doing? Who is doing the scouting for you? Because I'm gonna tell you, I was, I, I was, I was, I was honestly shocked that Napier didn't have a better game plan. I guarantee you, I get shocked. I guarantee right you, now, he's really upset with himself. Whoever, whatever analysts and GAs were on that on the, on, the, on the scouting, they didn't, they didn't get jobs at Florida. I know I know it was a new scheme and it was a new quarterback. Yes, a lot of stuff, but come on guys. We we threw out stuff that you should have been able to figure out just <laughs> That's from when, watching the team last year and based off the personnel evaluations that you already had. Yeah, that was when like maybe their staff overcomplicated like, Oh, this is Texas. And it's like, Yeah, this isn't the Texas exactly. you're used you, to seeing. Exactly. Because in uh, that game I think gave Texas fans some fool's gold because it did. Texas we watched that and was like, Man, Everybody said Louisiana's a tough, good line of scrimmage team, and Texas held their own. They were okay. And then the very next week, you found out the truth about it. And, like, to Jeff's point, the first quarter against Oklahoma in that game, that was at least, like, when you had a healthy Casey. You had sort of, like, your starters. But once you start to have a player on offense go out, a player on defense go out, and you try to fill in these holes on a team, like, mm-hmm. you can, especially when you're taking in somebody else's players, like, there's another, like, you were on sort of this type of scenario where you had the leftover guys in like Texas under Mac Brown early on had a really good start in lineup but you didn't have that depth across the whole program Mac hadn't got his guys in yet so once you lose one or two players here or there or there's a glaring weakness or a hole and then the opponents see that and they can start taking advantage of it that's in Texas it quickly fell apart and that was sort of right after everybody just remembers the line of demarcation either being like the second half against Tech because against Tech you realized wait this defense can't stop anybody right now and then you sort of think about it you do okay but it's just a few big plays early on in the Oklahoma game and then once Casey gets hurt you don't see the explosiveness from the offense and then the defense is a little bit more vulnerable once one or two guys maybe goes down or you just realize you aren't as good as you thought you were I think I, I mean we can talk about this big picture I think the line of demarcation where the season changed I think it's that one play that third down in the Oklahoma game where on the same play Casey gets his thumb stepped on, hurts his thumb, and Jordan Whittington breaks his collarbone on the same play. <laughs> and you were, as a team, you were never really the same after that. I'd, go, I'd probably say the fourth down, they ended up being a 60 some yard touchdown. Yeah. Four, if you get, a four, you get a stop there, Heart I believe you're, on, you're, you're in your territory. Yeah. And you could potentially get the ball yeah. and score again. And I, I think at that point, you're up, you're already up what? Four to three, three or four touchdowns. I thought twenty-one. You know what I mean? Time. I think, yeah. Exactly. So my, I think, I think that because then that's the one that gave the, them life, and mm-hmm. also it brought to life a new quarterback in college football that became like a Heisman contender at the time. Even of, then, though, Rod, you know I mean? there there are multiple plays in that game. Like the the one that really did it for me was I've talked about this a lot that Kennedy Brooks touchdown run or long run where Deshaun Jameson ran him down and couldn't quite pop the ball out before his knee mm-hmm. hit. Yep. Man, if you if you get a fumble right there, like Oklahoma thinks they're going in to score, and instead of them scoring, not only do they not score, but they turn the ball over, you probably put them away at that point. Could be. Yeah. 
Because huh? the, the, you know, we, the three of us have been in that stadium around you played in that game. The momentum swings in that game. It's cliche, but it's true, man. They they are unlike any other game you play in. Yeah. One thing swinging in that those game. moments in that game. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, no, I, I think the personnel issue goes back to something we talked about all offseason, and unfortunately it came true. You were not going to replace Joseph Osai and the presence that he brought off the edge. But that said, you weren't even able to replicate his production. Or anything near it. Anything, yeah, exactly. You would, you Not would, anything in the ballpark. You weren't, well, you weren't even serviceable. You mm-hmm. literally yeah. were. I mean, you were subpar across the board on uh, from the defensive end's position. And that yeah. can explain a lot when you have one thing that goes from nationally elite to then you're maybe a, the total polar opposite and yeah. you're as bad as it gets. That can be something that if you don't fix that, that one glaring weakness can be something that can be impacting every game. They did. But you do it with personnel and you do it with scheme. And Sark even got asked, uh, I think actually – Chip might have been the one that asked him about it. I think it was Chip that asked him, uh, you know, do you want to be more three down? Do you want to be more four down? Like, what do you want to do with the front? And Sarge answered, he said, you know, we're not there yet. We're doing install right now. Basically, I think right now, Rod, they're trying to figure out which of these guys can play. I don't think they're necessarily worried about, hey, are we going to be a predominantly three down front? Are we going to, you know, be able to run ghost fronts, whatever? I think there's just PK and Bo Davis and, that whole defensive staff, they're just trying to figure out, okay, which of these guys can play? Yeah. And that's what matters, not like how many people have their hands here or not. Yeah. No, you're, you're at the point where you just need to work on like basic technique and fundamentals because obviously your guys were lacking that last season and now you got a spring to work with them, an entire offseason to work with them. And it goes back to what you know we've said before. You just got to find who your best players are, your best 11 football players it might end up being three D linemen or five D linemen. It might end up being, you know, help. Might end up being two D linemen. Who, who, who knows? We have or no two idea. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't know. But once you find out who your best eleven are, that will help you come up with your fronts, right? Whether you're going to be a multiple fronts, three, four down linemen, whatever. All right. If you figure out who your best eleven guards are, it'll lead you to the resolution of, all right, this is the scheme we're going to run. Don't try to. You did that last year. Yeah. You brought in a damn scheme last year. I was like, this is the scheme. Is this game? We're going to put guys in this game, insert here, and it's going to work. You were wrong. All right? You were wrong about the Big 12 Conference. As I've said before, it is a, it is a, a running league, cross-dressing is a passing league. You were wrong about it. You believe the BS you heard about it instead of doing your own damn research. So this time, go into it with an open mind. Find out who your best 11 guys are on defense, best 11, maybe 12 guys, and go, okay, you know what? If we, if we got our best 11 guys consist of three down linemen, then you know what? Let's, uh, let's try to go with more of a three down front, or let's try to go with more of a multiple front, uh, whatever it may be. But you need to figure out your best 11 guys first. Don't get, don't get sidetracked. Yeah. You've got to find out who your best 11 football players on defense. Who are they? You don't even know who they are. You have no idea who they are because I don't know who they are, and I watch more film than you. That's where you want to go and look at the tools that the players have, and that's what they're doing right now because if you don't have an obvious, say, 11 that are clearly cream of the crop or you don't know how those pieces fit and you need to find which guys has these strengths and in these scenarios with how situational football is, especially on defense, like, yeah, if you don't have that many great linemen or D linemen or linebackers but you got a handful of guys that can play, we'll see which pieces fit together the best. Yeah, exactly. Justice Finkley's been with the ones. Baron Sorrell's been with the ones. Prince Dorba's gotten some run with that first group. Uh, Ovia Gofu is the returning guy, has gotten some run with that first group. So I give them credit. They're at least trying the bodies that they've got. It's just, are the bodies you've got? Man, you brought up a great term, Rod. If you could just, if you could just upgrade to serviceable, 
you're in a better position than you were last yeah, year. Then you'll be average. Yeah. If you can get to average. That'd be awesome. But again, you know, Matt and I were talking about this too. There's a reason why, you know, when our, our national staff at 24 7 Sports, when they put together the top 100 transfers out of the portal last year going into last season, there was a reason only one of the Texas transfers, that big transfer portal hall that Texas got, the reason only one of those transfers was in the top 100. It wasn't any of the guys on defense. Yeah. Keelan Robinson, that was it. It's crazy. It, it, it was. It's one of those unfortunate, what do you call it, Rob, the unfortunate, sad, inconvenient truths mm-hmm. about this defense, and I was hoping it wouldn't be the case, but it kind of was. You basically lost Joseph Osai, and you filled his spot with basically just guys. Just a bunch of j- j- jacks. Just depth chart fillers. I mean, yeah. it's, it is, let's call yeah. it what it is. And that's, I mean, like I said, that's You not, appreciate their effort. Yeah, that's not Sark's fault, but it is his responsibility. And... You know, I think, you know, you could have tweaked the scheme a little bit to try to, you know, try to compensate for that last year. But I don't know if there's a ton more you could have done when you just don't have guys who are capable of being able to defend the edge. Like, just not capable of it at all. And those numbers that you gave, the numbers you gave about the the sacks and the guys who are affecting the opposing quarterback this year and the numbers you just gave about pro football focus and and how opposing offenses were able to run and attack the edges – it just shows you that you did. They, they trust me. They cycled through guys last year. I wouldn't watch them. I mean, they were they were working different guys at the edge. They were like mm-hmm. five, five, six guys they used yeah. at the edge last year. They just couldn't find someone. They tried bumping enough. Alfred Collins out there for a yeah, little bit. They, just, they couldn't find a player consistent enough out there that they trusted. There was no trust, so they don't trust any of these guys. That's what it comes down to. That's why they're cycling through the young guys and giving them a chance. And that's why you got you got to get Oshun Mathis. I don't. Know how much you got to pay to get them or whatever it is. You need to. It needs to be a directive. It needs. You got to get them. You, yeah. you you have to have him. Yeah. You, that's it. If you he, want to have a competent defense next year, you have to go get that guy. He's a close, he would be the closest thing you would have to a defense a difference maker on the edge. And he he's a proven difference maker in this league. In this league, already and, done it. And view the market. And if you look across college football, I mean that's already a position that's going to be rare to find an impact edge rush guy in the portal. Like those things maybe not won't exist most years. So if you're a school like Texas, not only one where you have the inherent already ability have the ability to get a guy like that to be interested to come in or and it's fair, filling a hole on the roster which is what most transfer guys are looking for and God. then you have the sole pre-existing relationship with the guy like if that doesn't happen it has to be for some obvious reason that we don't know about or it's like you really gonna ask questions so hopefully it does come through yeah I- I understand the predicament that Sark and PK were in taking over this roster and losing a guy like Osai. But now, a year into it, if you're getting guys out of the portal, there better be guys like O'Shawn Mathis. Mm-hmm. Guys that you look at the paper and you don't question, well, I mean, he kind of played behind some guys, didn't start much. Like, no, this guy was a second-team All-Big 12 player. This guy's an, all, an All-Big 12 caliber player. When you put his numbers in 2020 right next to Joseph Osai's, mm-hmm. take the names off of them, they're pretty much identical. Those are, the, those are the kinds of guys you need to be getting out of the totally portal. Totally agree with you. Yep, at, at, at this point, right? Yes. We're rebuilding the roster. You can't take Jags out of the portal at you this point. You can't afford to, uh, especially at impact positions. Like, I mean, it, you're talking about positions on defense where you got to find guys that can win, one-on-ones. And I always say this, what defense ends up coming down to. And that's why D-line is so important and your corners are so important. They're the only ones who are specifically, and your nickel um, at times, depending on situationally how you want to use them. But they're the ones who are specifically matched up usually against a player from the snap. And if you get a baller 
who you can trust in one-on-ones, who you trust can win one-on-ones consistently, Mm -hmm. that is how you flip the numbers. And PK is a flip-the-numbers guy. He's like like Brandon Staley in the league. He needs the numbers advantage. Why did Staley just go get Khalil Mack? Why did he just go sign J.C. Jackson? His defense last year wasn't, it was like the 30th best defense in the league, but it was the best defense in the league when he had Aaron freaking Donald and Jalen Ramsey. What do those guys do? Well, they flip the numbers because it takes two of your offensive linemen to block Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey can win one-on-ones. I know. Say what you want about Jamar Chase and all that. But usually, he can win one-on-one. That's so life as a corner, though, right? That's life as a corner. That's life as a corner, right? You're going to get beat. So it, it, so now he, he has the numbers advantage, right? So he can flip the numbers when he was with the Rams, and he couldn't do that with the Chargers. His system doesn't work. P.K. is the same guy. P.K.'s system is not going to work unless he has a war daddy on the defensive line that can win one-on-ones and also demand a double team, and he's got defensive backs that can win one-on-ones. You don't do that. You can't flip the numbers game. You can't win the numbers game. That's all football is at its most rudimentary form and that's what PK's trying to do it last year that's why his defense sucked and his scheme sucked because he didn't have one player not one not one player on defense not one that can win a one-on-one on defensive line and a corner you could trust to go man-to-man zero help all right with no safety help you can't have that now this year maybe you'll get a couple of those guys you can trust from down to down situationally right like mm-hmm. no no oh, on this down you know uh, third and short or, you know, third medium, I can trust my corners to be man-to-man. Now we got new corners. Or maybe on this down, I can trust in my defensive lineman in this specific front. He can he can blow it up and demand a double team and penetrate whatever it may be. You didn't have those guys last year. That's why you always lost the numbers advance. That's why it always looked like you had 10 guys on the field and they had 12. Yeah, and that's, yeah. again, why Texas is in a great situation as a program, just being the one few school that can actually land those top-tier players that if you get just two or three guys that can beat the guy in front of them, then you can allow your defense to be able to be built around those strengths. But when you don't have those things, you cannot build anything, and that's the problem about Texas where Texas is at. Texas should have those guys, and those are the type of players that Texas wants to get back mm-hmm. to being able to get onto this campus because then it can make that job a lot easier for the for the coaches. Yeah, because he's trying to he's trying to PK's system last year was trying to protect everybody. Yeah, he was trying to protect the D line from getting overrun, trying to protect the DBs from getting beat deep, trying to protect the linebackers and coverage. Then you're vulnerable. Exactly, you try to protect everybody. So now you're getting beat all over the place. You can't do no defense. You have to pick your spots on what you're going to protect from down to down. And when you got dogs out there, if you had cover man to man, you go, oh, I'm protecting them corners. They don't need it. They good. Yep. You know what I mean? Or you got a defensive line, and go, you're like, no, no, my defensive line is good. Trust me, they can hold for it. They can hold the edge. Mm-hmm. I don't need to bring extra guys into the box. So yep. You can win the numbers advantage on the back end. That's what it's all about in the end. And PK had no ability to do that last year. So that's why I give him a little, I give him a little grace. Because on offense, I understand that. Defensively, though, you still, it's your job to solve the problem, coach. Sorry, coach. It ain't your fault, but it is your responsibility. And your job I'll, to solve the problem. I'll bring coach. it. I'll bring up another term that I that I'm very fond of. At the beginning of the week, when you start game planning on Sunday, you drop that who gift who gets effed pie. Pretty much, exactly. Yeah, it is. And Aaron, you on your team, he's gonna get effed every time. He's like, "Nah, man, I'm sorry, bro. You're gonna have a, a long week." He's like, "Oh, I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm used to it, coach. I'm, I'm ready the for anchor it. of the defense. Yeah. It's like what exactly Rudy Joe right. Bear is for the yeah. you know Utah Jazz. It's like you have different players that are those anchors and like beat the guy in front of you in football. Like the, hell on offense, Texas has those type of guys. They do. It works for Sark. They got like four. Uh, right now, yeah. if you look on the roster, the now defense doesn't have. And you want to have those few players that can like, be the thing that you can allow deficiencies everywhere, but it'll funnel yeah. to your strength. Exactly. Right. And then 
that exactly ends up being right. how everything can be compromised if you don't have that one aspect of your defense that you can fall back on yeah. it being above average. Because all Sark is doing is arranging one-on-ones. Yes. Like, go look at his offense. It's, all the cheat codes are pretty much built around him arranging one-on-one. They're manipulating matchup advantages across mm-hmm. the board. So if you got X-Man one-on-one, win. If I end up uh, uh, being able being able to coordinate a run that ends up with Bijan versus your defender one-on-one the hole, I win. Yep. <laughs> like it ain't it ain't rocket science. That's all he's that's all he's doing across the yeah. board. And if he gets enough of those guys, Isaiah Nayor and Abijan, and then an X Man, then they can all win one on ones across the board. You as a defensive uh, defensive coordinator are screwed. You're, you're just screwed. Yep. You just got to hope luck is on your side, and you you chose the right call and and coordinate the right call on that specific down. That's all you got. And that's I mean, what, I mean, Shano does it. Shano San does Francisco it better than anybody. anybody. Exactly. And then you could see how he's adjusted his defense over the years, dependent upon personnel to be upon your strengths and yeah. how to work with this zone that is going to be copycatted by everybody. Exactly. It's like, but you can't necessarily do it if you don't find – you have to be self-aware of your pieces. Well, yeah. I mean, last year Shano was so brilliant, he had one guy. Yeah. Yeah, one guy. It was just Debo. He was in the. He said, like, "I'm putting him in the backfield. Yep. I'll use him at wide receiver." Kittle's but hurt. I will He's gonna find, block. I will manipulate this matchup, mm-hmm. and I will find your weak defender, yeah. and I will make sure Debo Samuel ends up on your weak defender, yeah. whether he's in a slot. Whether he's outside, whether he's in the backfield, because you ain't got all eleven dogs. You ain't got eleven Pro Bowlers. You don't. Nobody does. You got a weak link somewhere. And if I got a, this is what I'm all about positionless football. Yep. If I got a movable chess piece. I can find your weak link. Because if you, you can't hide him, you can't hide him. If you send two guys over to Debo and don't view, oh, right. don't Please. respect Uzcheck, Uzcheck's going to be in the underneath for a it's time. Even. And then Kittle, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just, oh man. It's, it's even, defensively, you have to do that too, though. Yeah, on the flip and, side. Well, yeah. Exactly. I was going to say it, it's even more rudimentary than that. It's it's the old adage of okay, you make uh, the basketball analogy. I'm going to make you beat me left-handed. Mm-hmm. Like, what what do you do that's going to give me the most problems? That like. Uh, go. Let's just go revisions history. The last season, like the Arkansas game, if I was PK. I said, "You're not Ar- Sam Pittman. You're not running the ball on me. I'm gonna put nine in the box. I don't care if I'm in one on one on the outside. If Traylon Burks beats Deshaun Jameson and KJ Jefferson can get the ball there in time, so be it. Oh well, go I ahead. Bet on Jefferson but, to have to uh, complete ten of those passes. But you will not run. You will not run on a light box all day. Yeah, I agree with you. I did the same. I'm with you on that. But like, no, you're going to – basically, I'm going to turn your quarterback into Aaron freaking Rodgers. You're going to drop they, back every damn time mm-hmm. and find the open guy. But they just stay <laughs> – and that's the other thing, too, man. Back to scheme. Like, the Arkansas game was one of those games. Like, you just – we saw him change it a little bit after that. But, man, he was just like in static, a static defense the whole game. Yeah. Just static front, static coverage. Just no, no movement, nothing. Just kind of playing Jane. It's like, all right. I don't, I don't know if y'all realize yeah. that theirs are better than yours. Yeah. Not enough run blitzes, I would say, man. When you when you know you're overmatched, especially by halfway through the season, he knew his defensive front couldn't hold up. But Run blitz. Yes. Yeah. Run blitz. That's how you flip the script, right? You penetrate and you just cause chaos. Don't All simplify right? the process yeah, for them why, why by giving to, them less pictures. Yeah, why to are you try to allowing them to 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 really uh, engage with your guys one on one when you know your guys can't win one on ones? Then forget the one on ones. Let's just cause chaos. Let's just blitz early on rundowns, and let's just beat them to the punch in the backfield. You can beat anyway. You're giving up almost you know, over five yards to carry anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's going to stop for you to just hit them in the backfield and try to try to stop the play abruptly before it even gets going? Yeah. Right. You think you think back to bad high school defenses, right? Bad high school defense you saw. What, what was the what was the one fallback bad defense everybody saw in high school? If you're facing a team that's running a three three stack, they know they're a bad defense. They they're just going to try to stack backers and shoot gaps. 
and just try to mess you up Different before guy, you get exactly. going. They try to screw up blocking schemes. They try yeah. to confuse your lot, your uh, offensive lineman, and it works a lot of the times. You know, and it's it's basically like what teams did to Texas our whole lives watching them is what Texas needed to do last year, but Texas was still acting like they're Texas, and they weren't Texas. When you realize that yep. you were at a disadvantage and don't have the roster that you really expected to have or think you should have, yeah. in that situation, you have to play like the lesser team and do those type of exactly. things and take those risks. It's a risk-reward exactly. basis yeah, we that, talked about that you need to over-counter. Right, we talked about that when things went bad with Manny Diaz and when things yeah. went bad with Vance Bedford and even Todd Orlando. Like if you're if you're recruiting the right guys and you're on the right trajectory at Texas, the access to talent that you have, if you're doing your job in player assessment, play talent acquisition, and player development, yep. you don't need an elaborate scheme because Rod, you you should have those dogs that can win. There's no look, it's definitely not there right now. There's no reason Texas shouldn't have the same kind of dogs on defense at Alabama and Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State. Get. Totally agree. NFL don't. caliber players when it's right though. And we've seen it at Texas when it's right. It is not right right now. Mm-hmm. So you need to adjust accordingly. Yeah, because even in down that. years, we've seen Texas have NFL players on defense at every level. I mean, Quandre Hassan- Dixon come here when the, when the program yeah. was up. Hassan, Ridge- Hassan Ridgeway, Hassan Ridgeway is still in the league still and was a part of the one of the worst defenses the I've ever seen in my life. The 49ers? Uh, I'll check. I don't know who he's. The 49ers, you know, Shannon likes to stockpile D line. He and he had a middle who there. He, been yeah. he yeah. loves stockpiling D lineman, dude. He, dude that's, yep. it, he's on the Niners. I want to say I heard it. Yep. I was like, that, that son of a gun. Because he, he already knows. He's like, no, I'll just I just remember that Ridgeway kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, anyway, I digress. Getting back to it, I totally agree with Jeff. I think you round the money, and that's why getting back to match point. Once PK realized. Okay, I got I got no dogs. I don't have not. I don't have one. Even DeMarvin Overshaw is supposed to be my guy. He's inconsistent, right? And he, you know, he's inconsistent dealing with injuries. So you know what? We need a schematic advantage and just go to PK and go to Sark and go Sark. We're gonna get beat on defense. Just telling you, man. We just don't have it. Back to your point yeah, about complimentary football. Yeah, exactly. And being self aware. Listen, we're gonna get beat. But, but we going down. I'm going down. Guns are blazing. You gonna see? I'm coming. I'm coming with every damn thing I got. Kitchen sink and all. When I'm down with the Bill Young Oklahoma State defenses. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. And tell Sark, say Sark. Anytime you can score, score. Because we're going to need it. We're going to be zero oh, coverage or yeah. cover one, and we're, I'm bringing a house. I'm bringing a house. Oh, and then you, I'm going to get you one. Though. I'm going to get you one or two. I'll get you one or two turnovers. That's, that's about all. I, I can't even guarantee that they don't score 30 <laughs> or 40. Phil Bennett, Baylor defenses. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like you pointed out, old school Big 12. You should have – if you studied the league long enough, I, Gary Patterson would probably suggest it to him if he was on the staff. Mm-hmm. Like, bro, y'all need to go old school Big 12. That defense is not going to stop anybody. Your offense, though, is elite. Yeah. And Bring the team to go. every time. Yeah, so I think that <laughs> – and you know what? I'm hoping now with more time and familiarity with the roster and his own scheme that, that PK now will be able to make those type of adjustments. I'm encouraged by, again, the fact that they're cycling through so many young guys at edge, the fact that they have got guys now in the secondary that have position flex, uh-huh. Jade Barron and Anthony Cook. and. Like that. Uh, even a guy like Mo Blackwell, like we talked about, maybe long term is Maurice Blackwell, your Jalen Petrie. You know, please. Just the it, it's it, with the exception of inside linebacker, which I, I said last week, I still I still don't have a clear picture on what's happening there. And, and <laughs> I don't want to get back on the linebacker tangent, oh, yeah. but like, like go back to the the, the December press conference and even the signing day press conference in February. Star, Sark is still talking about oh we might need an inside linebacker out of the portal. Why? Yeah. Way too many resources devoted at that position 
It's just unfortunate. Like, you're like Tom Herman with tight ends. Why are you stockpiling them? He loves them. <laughs> if you aren't using he loves them. them. I, I, well, I, think for, I think for Tom Herman it was different. I don't know what his uh, fascination was with tight ends. He didn't use them that much. He didn't even use 12 personnel. You know what I mean? Like, you, you lose 12 personnel like 30% of the we time or like less. And you were stockpiling tight nuts. ends. Uh, but anyway, but getting back to your point, though, I, I think because off-ball linebacker, inside linebacker is just so tough. We've talked about to, it a lot, to, yeah. To really evaluate these days. And I think a lot of people are slow to that party. You, 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 you've been great to it. I think Chris Hummer, you guys have been really, really. But it's one of those deals, Rod. It's like, yeah, we talk about people. Well, they're just throwing money at the problem. They're just throwing scholarships at the problem. It's are. like that. That's no, no, that's stop, stop. That's yeah. not. That's why we talk about short term strategy. Then you get a long term strategy. Maybe the short term strategy is you throwing just throwing scholarships at it. You need a long term strategy for off ball linebacker because if you don't get one, you're gonna be lost in the SEC without one. And you point out that might be the most going forward. It might be the most important part of a defense because it's the toughest thing. And, and if you if you think that that league again, it's still a line of scrimmage league. But if you think that league is still just thumping linebackers, go pop in Kobe Dean's tape Dude, and tell oh me if God. that cat's oh, a, a thumper. Yeah. Dude, I think Matt Corral had over thirty six percent of his throws be RPOs. Yeah, they're yeah. doing thirty six percent. No man, Sark at, at Alabama was around eighteen and nineteen. Like they said, that was a lot. I mean, so they yeah they're very progressive in the SEC. You need you need you need off ball space. Space playmaking linebackers in that spread babies, at man. all levels of football now. It's no, d- no doubt. It's everywhere. In, in like that area is reminded like you brought that's it up. That's the RPO right? area. Yeah, that's your RPO zone, right? Yeah. There with those off ball linebackers. Oh, sorry, Matt. No, 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 you're spot on, man. <laughs> and then I mean, it's two areas that not only is it a position of value, but the big issue with Texas in recent years at linebacker or even say at tight end is. We've had things that became black holes. Instead of being, well, this guy doesn't fit at this position, but he can play another position and do that and get, let you still have depth across your roster. Instead, they become black holes that don't play and don't uh, yeah. turn into anything. Yeah. Schools like Oklahoma State or TCU yeah. for two decades turn when they don't fit that, that position. Baylor. They become productive somewhere else, like mm-hmm. Abram Smith, that yeah. running back, a mm-hmm. linebacker. Because they can't they, afford to waste a scholarship. Exactly. Texas can't afford to waste a scholarship. They got so much but money. But it's a every, way of thinking. But Oklahoma State's like, we can't afford to waste a scholarship. But a lot of the time it makes you be more, uh, I don't have what would be the exact word, whenever you're going and looking to recruit these guys, you should actually be looking and being a little bit more selectful by looking at what traits you need and mm-hmm. not be able to just be like, oh, well, it's okay, we'll figure it out. It's like, no, it becomes a black hole at that yeah. point. And if you are going to go and be a little bit more selectful about what you're looking at and understand the value of that wasted scholarship on the back end, you just can't be going and recruiting that way and ending up with nothing. Crazy enough, and, and Jess brought this up, you know who did that pretty well? Tom Herman. Because mm-hmm. he, I think he came from that, right? And you yeah. and was like, no, we can't waste scholarships, dude. Yeah. Right? That guy can't play receiver like we thought. We got need to, we project him to play safety mm-hmm. or something else. Yeah, the yeah. value. We are running back. We're not going to waste a scholarship. Yeah. I'm yeah, you got to appraise that value and do that early on in the process so then you aren't left with something that but you can't But what I keep talking about, man, repurposing Repurpose. guys. I like that word. Mm-hmm. It's a good word. It's a good word. You, you, you can borrow repurpose, right? if I can continue to borrow structural integrity. No, go mm-hmm. ahead. No, because I, I think you're right about that. It's going to be key for a start this year, man. How many guys can you repurpose? Yeah. Yeah. And they're working on that in the secondary. Uh, not so much on offense. On Rod, I know you've got to run, but, man, I've I watched just watching skill guys run around. And, like, Isaiah Nayor looks like you'd expect a big-time wide receiver that does the things he Heard does things. To, to look on the hoof. You know what Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington bring to the table. I'm just kind of fascinated. Like Marcus Washington is in, not danger zone is not the right word, but just kind of that, oh, yeah, you're that right. limbo where like he's he could be recruited over any day now. 
Yeah, or <laughs> or, or he can or he can make take or a stride or two yeah, and, and be your, your solid. Become the and then there is a clear distinction between four and five. Totally agree. I think the distinction between three and four and four and five. He's that guy, but it's just kind of muddled right now. His, I think a lot of his, I hate to say this, if Jordan Wiggins stays healthy, knock on wood, that's going to be big for Marcus yeah. Washington, right? Because he's the third guy. Sark runs, 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, around 40% of the time. We know, and he should, one more two back sets, right? That's kind of going to take you know another receiver off the field unless they go 20 personnel with three wide receivers. So that's going to be big for him. And the health of, uh, of Jordan Whittington, so I, I think, honestly, I'm with you right now. It's tentative, and I hate to say it depends on the health of the wide receivers overall, but it depends on if Jay Witt stays healthy. If Jay Witt ends up getting hurt, he could end up having that, you know, making that move. Yeah. Xavier Worthy included, Whittington brings a dimension to your offense that nobody else does. Yep, multiplicity. He could be your version of Debo Samuel. He's just too fragile so I don't, I don't yeah. know if you could actually hand it off to him and expect him to be able to run off-tackle Confidently, without thinking he's not going to. Kind of like hurt. what Lil Jordan Humphrey was for the offense in eighteen. Whittington mm-hmm. could be that for David the offense Huberman now. Could have been that. Yeah. I mean, his career yeah. arc reminds me. Now, I would say Whittington to this point is maybe more productive than Shipley was early on. But just the heralded kid out of high school that was obviously this, you know, a generational type high school player. But you don't know if he's going to fit at Texas. Right, but then there. he makes flash plays but has injuries to keep him off you say we can't count on him and then he's the most reliable guy in like for two years in school history at the position and so like like, it would be amazing to see if Whittington could somehow just piece together one year like that but their their careers are very similar when you think back about them and then the way that they were talked about and then even their roles while here he's an NFL guy if you like it's just and you can see it it's eye test it's like oh my guy can play in the league if he's healthy but that's the big thing. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, there's some people that believe is he, if he's healthy and Sark can – if he's you know fully healthy and Sark can fully weaponize him considering how expansive his skill set is, that he could actually be a bigger threat than X-Men. Yeah, he was what Duvernay like, – well, Yeah, like, that's kind of what I was getting at just right? now, yeah. Because Sark can, Sark, Sark can weaponize. Sark is for you sure. know, offensive mind. He knows exactly how to maximize talent. If that guy could stay healthy – and it's almost going back to what Mac Brown said about Jordan Shipley. Right? Yeah. He's like, I'd love to build game plans around Jordan Shipley. I, it, I that'd be stupid of me. I'm your, paraphrasing. Your, but that'd your, be boy Bo, your boy Bo Scaife too. Yeah, exactly. get into that point. If, until that guy can prove he can stay healthy for you know half a season, then we can start saying, all right, you know, let's build a game plan around him. Let's build an offensive identity around this guy. You can't really do that with also Jay guys that play in the league. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jay went to me because I think a guy from the league scout goes. That guy can play. Why is this guy more highly recruited? Why doesn't he have more highly talented? Oh man, you know what he's doing with injuries. Like, okay, well if he can stay healthy in the yeah. league. We'll take him on our roster. So I think he could have that type of career. But I do think he is, like I said, with the positionless football world that we're living in right now, I think if Jordan Witten is fully realized – Yep. He could be a bigger offensive threat than X Men, and, and that's, that's what we were thinking in '07, going into '08. But we were saying, oh, you can't have Shipley. So it just reminds me, just the odd similarities between the two going Hope into right, this brother. season. Xavier Worthy's not a guy that you necessarily want to hand the ball to him on a jet sweep no. and trust him to run off tackle. You know, but, but not, he has though. He has, yeah. but Whittington with the, the the blockier body type and the oh, fact man. that he he did handle that ball the ball that way a lot in high school spent his first year at Texas as a running back, even though he got hurt that first year, mm-hmm. uh, at least 
has the frame of reference, if you will, for lack of a better term, to know how to run to and through content. I know, and Tom Herman, I'm sorry, backing up, up Duvernay. Herman. I know, because I know i got to get out of here. But the fact that he, he recruited the H position, which stood for a hybrid, yeah. and would never hybridize the player. No. He would just put him in a slot and leave him. This like, is all you, you do. recruited these really specific skill sets. Meathead. Like a Devin Duvernay. <laughs> do you know what it is? Like a Jordan Whittington to specifically work as hybrid player. He knew he had the vision. No, it's H. It isn't hybrid. Yeah, <laughs> It's just a letter. That's a <laughs> yeah, for him it was, but he, he said he's still for hybrid. I know. That's what he said. I know. It's I hilarious. Like, I was shocked when he said that. I was like, it does? You know you never use it for hybrid. <laughs> I thought it was like an H, like an H or a Y. And no, then, he's still for hybrid. I was like, what? And then you don't even let him play the other positions. And so you then do not move around. It's like, <laughs> oh, they did that one year. It's like they that, did that one year. Twenty percent of snaps. Little Jordan, Little Jordan Humphrey's the only guy that they did yeah, it with. They did hybrid because they would put him in a wildcat. At times, they put him in the backfield. They yeah. put him field side. Throw oh, him, give him a throw him, Put him field side. Let him run vertical. They throw him tunnel screens. In the, yeah, in the slide. Like I you remember. said, wildcat. Yeah. No, I like that. But I'm saying he, he he never he never took it to the next level. He never got progressive about the idea. He started with the hybrid thing, and he never. I was like, no, Devin Duvernay was perfect for it. Just kind of like built that like whole a little running yep. back. He was powerful. It's kind of like the whole era of Texas football, though, Rod. It was right there. It was right. It was right there. Yeah. It's what the Ravens how at they the, used at him. the cusp. You you yeah. could see you could see the summit. You're like, okay, I can see it now. And then yeah. and he, he you ca- just tumbled back down the he mountain. Cost Duvernay some money. I was like, dude, you could have got Duvernay drafted a little high, got a little bit more bread, man. Because I still think Devin Duvernay. I think the Baltimore Ravens they had a Debo Samuel like vision for Devin Duvernay too. But their offense is struggling right now so much they can't really they can't focus on next level concepts. They had to focus on just can Lamar Jackson complete a ball vertically downfield? And that's what held Dirt Duvernay Ruh-roh. was in the Marquise Brown role the year before he became the H guy that's at Texas. <laughs> One thing I want to touch on before we get out of here, uh, this Tuesday Tuesday's practice was the first time I've had a chance to see Quinn Ewers throw in this setting, in a college setting. And it's one thing to, to watch him on the field in high school and watch him you know, display that arm talent. But, Matt, the only – Guy, I mean, you know, the, the comparison would be like, who can you compare his arm to? It's a combination of Shane Bouchelle and Chris Sims. It's the best way I can describe it. Like, Shane Bouchelle threw the prettiest deep ball I've seen a Texas quarterback throw, maybe ever. It was such a good deep ball. But it comes out of his hand with such velocity and such a violent spin the likes of which I haven't seen a Texas quarterback throw in a practice setting since Chris Sims. And those are the things that are hard to sort of explain because it's like yeah. the way the ball comes out the first five yards of a hand, just like when you see a pitcher that actually is like ripping a pitch, you know, and you actually see a 90-mile-an-hour fastball in the flesh or you see a Chris Sims-type situation where like not only does a ball hit with a thud but coming out, it's on a trajectory. It's like when you watch a game on TV and you can see just the way the ball is rocketed out of a big arm like a Stafford or a Mahomes and there have only been I mean a few guys in the past couple decades that have came out that have even been said to have had an arm on that level you know that you'd always um, just envied like a John Elway prototype or something and Quinn Ewers he seems like a guy on film but until you're in the flesh you don't get the gauge of what it is I'm not going to compare him to this guy like I said, it's one thing to watch him do it in high school. It's another thing when you're on the field with legitimate high-level Division One athletes and, and doing it. And, again, it's routes on air. It's another, there's no pass rush, no coverage. But I watched him throw a deep crosser. Like, his back is to me. I'm standing up on a hill. If you can picture Denius Fields, there's a mm-hmm. hill leading to that first field uh, 
on the sidewalk, and I'm up on the hill, so I'm watching from like an end zone view. Mm-hmm. And he throws a deep crosser, Matt, about, I don't know, I think it was to Casey Kane, about 35, 40 yards on a dime. And the combination of the flight of the ball, the way it looked coming out of his hands, like I said, that violent spin. Again, I'm not comparing him to this guy, but it was very Aikman-like in terms of the way the ball left his hand. And I'm how picturing looked. that uh, pass from that angle to Alvin Harper. Against, yes, uh, against Green Bay. Yes. Yeah, Just you painting that picture yeah. so well yeah. and just seeing the ball come out like that. I mean, if you, we're talking about guys, and it's funny you bring up Eggman too because I remember whenever he spoke of Josh Allen for the first time and it was like, you know, he went into this the – I think it was a pro day. Maybe it was just yeah. him throwing Aikman for was up there for his pro day. Yeah. And Aikman was like, you know, I'd heard things about this guy, but you hear a lot of things about a lot of guys. But it wasn't until, like, he saw him rip that first throw and was like, wow, this is just on a different plane mm-hmm. and on a different level. And, like, those t- are the type of throws. And when you talk about those deep crossers where you see these NFL guys throwing 40 yards downfield, but when you're throwing left to right and you're talking about A squared, B squared, C squared, and it's 20, 30 yards to the right you're talking about a 50 60 yard throw on For a sure. dime yeah. that ends up being something that it doesn't have that arc it's just ripping to the guy yeah and that's not to say Hudson Card can't make some of those same throws because he can and I think that the separation right now in that quarterback battle again in the limited window that I got to watch is Hudson Card looks like a guy that's been spent a full year in this system knows the practice routine knows the drills uh there's not a lot of hitches uh, he's uh, very sure of himself. Uh, not to say he didn't throw any incomplete passes on air because he did. Uh, Quinn Ewers did too, but you could tell, okay, this is a guy that's had a full year in it, and this is Quinn Ewers, his second practice in pads going well, through this. That that's, look- a, that's a significant separation between the two right now, if if it is significant at all. And those are the things that you, you would expect to hear from a guy yeah. that's a young quarterback on campus. Like When those guys show up day one and have all those traits, those are generational talents. You can't expect every quarterback to be one, so it's good to hear Hudson Card on a good natural progression. Yeah, so both those I – don't, I don't think there's anything to take away uh, from either, either guy right now in this quarterback battle. Like I said, I think – the big thing that's holding Quinn Ewers back is just a lack of experience, a lack of the lack of a knowledge base in this offense that Hudson Card has, and uh, quite honestly, he should uh, he should be ahead. Uh, there was a couple other things I wanted to get into, um, but it, it, the main topic, and we'll probably this is probably a tease where we lead off next week, depending on how we hear about things uh, coming up through Thursday practice and on Saturday, which Sark said will be have some scr- there will be a scrimmage portion of Saturday's practice. Uh, he talked about offensively, Matt, just similar to what we talked about being too predictable in 12 personnel. And I, I don't know what personnel grouping they were in when they were doing this, but the inability of the offense to run the ball when they have to, even with a guy like B. John Robinson, the inability to run the ball when they have to. Talked about that last year. Like Texas got too predictable. They couldn't salt games away. That's if you're gonna if you're gonna start picking apart this offense and talking about negatives. Man, that's the one thing that's got to turn around real quick. But the problem there is, in those situations, it's harder to mask your deficiencies along the offensive line. 
Yeah, and that's where we saw, you know, at times like last year, that it comes back to me remembering the, the TCU game, and you'd be like, point out, oh, see, Texas did do that. It's like, well, no, Bijan did that. He was yeah. getting hit yeah. literally at the line of scrimmage. It was yards after contact. It was him getting hit one yard in and getting the other six to be able to do those things. So when you have a, you know, a freak like Bijan back there, sometimes you can get away with the, the numbers fooling you that, to think that the offense is earning this when necessarily. It's just your one transcendent right. talent being able to get more than he should. And if you give that in most scenarios, you're going to be three and out and giving the ball back. Yeah, that's why, you know, none of the metrics that we use and the two main ones that we use are, we use a lot, but I mean, we use PFF, we use Football Outsiders, we use, I know Bill Conley's SP Plus, we use his efficiency ratings. But that, even as good as Football Outsiders is, and Pat, you know this. You, you even if you're filtering out garbage time statistics, you can still get really good work done against opponents like Rice and Texas Tech, and in a close game like TCU where there are no garbage time reps, mm-hmm. and your body of work can say, "Yeah, you were pretty good along the offensive line." No, it was just really kind of feast or famine. It just evened out that way because you were so dominant against the weaker teams you faced, uh, and your your Heisman Trophy caliber running back was so good in those games. But again, like we talked about, against the better defensive fronts you faced, Arkansas, Oklahoma State when it got down to, to crunch time, Baylor for the most part, he really couldn't move anybody along the line of scrimmage. But because you were so dominant those other times, it evened out in the end. Yep, no, you're spot on, and the math there with the Texas line is a great example, and it's why sometimes you'll hear so over generalizations from the analytics community, and when they present these things to say coaches that coaches are so smart and so in-depth in this situation it's why Bill Belichick's like I don't care what happened for a decade between two teams in the 70s that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do this Sunday against this team so like you can really trim off you know get that low-hanging fruit out and really find ways that if you are deficient these simple metrics and simple things can make you become more efficient but once you start talking about about being going from like average up to good or going from good to elite and along those lines, that's where the depth and the detail really needs mm-hmm. to be wet, weeded in. And that's where analytics are totally pointless because they aren't situational and certain situational, and especially with the way sports are going, even football more so, more so, you know, that's why we talk early downs. We talk passing downs. That's why we talk goal line scoring and why we talk about the value on a per yard basis in those one, a one yard gain inside the fives, way more value than a one-yard gain on your own 20 in certain situations when you and got touch 10 yards that to go. touchdown rate in the red zone, not just scoring rate. Yeah, then field goals and things like that along those lines. So there's just a lot of detail to those that a lot of the time just get sort of just thrown together as analytics. Yeah, that goes, but that goes back, Matt, to my biggest concern with this offensive line, and I'll close out with this, is Sark can only mask their deficiencies to a certain point, I feel like. And I'd love to get Rod's opinion on this next week as we'll talk a little more offense than we did this week when we've got Rod for the full show. But I, that's that's what I worry about. When when What strides can this offensive line make when you get to a point in the game where the deficiencies can no longer be masked? It's out of Sark's hands at that point. He can only scheme up things, use so much misdirection, use so unbalanced line or heavy looks, jumbo looks so many times that at some point it's just got to be, man, your five 
with a tight end or whatever, whoever's helping, can they reestablish the line of scrimmage on somewhat of a consistent basis or at least often enough for you to be in advantageous third-down situations when you've got to move the ball, burn clock, and move the chains? Yeah, there's a value to that that needs to be on every football team if you have any chance of winning. Yep. All right, and that is going to do it for this week's show. Matt, uh, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Always appreciate the time and knowledge from one Rod Babers. Uh, you can get Rod each and every weekday on the Horn, 1049-1019, AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. You get him each and every weekday from 3 to 7 on Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Life Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click that follow button to get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz when it drops Tuesday afternoons. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Long You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember for the latest Longhorn News 24 at Horns247.com.